Oh, I love that. Let's let's all start the podcast episode. It really is a candy bar. Sorry, I just sipped the drink again. <laughs> no, it's good. We'll talk about it in a second. But we have to do <laughs> other stuff first, like introduce ourselves. Oh yes, so many, so many, so many damn books. So I'm Christopher. I'm Drew, and we have Emily Nemmons in the damn library with us. Emily, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Emily is the editor of the Parish Review. She was previously the co-editor of the Southern Review. Her work has been published in Esquire, M Plus One, the Gettysburg Review, Hobart, and other outlets. And her novel, The Cactus League, is out now from FSG. Yes. Thanks so much for coming. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a novel about baseball. It's, yes. Um, we all just want you to talk about the drink. So in the song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, the narrator of the song is saying, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. Mm -hmm. So of course, it's been synonymous with baseball since 1908 when that song came out. Um, I also was looking up the song. It's really interesting. We don't sing the verses and the verses are actually about a woman who loves baseball. And she's actually saying like, you can go on a date with me only if you take me out to the ball game. Huh. That is fascinating. So I didn't know that. I knew about the moment where baseball became a sport that you could bring women to. That was like an important evolution of the game. But yeah. I didn't realize that uh, uh, the song, Take yeah. Me Out, was all about That's that. wild. Yeah, he wrote it for his, uh, the songwriter wrote it for his wife to sing in her uh, vaudeville act. Huh. And it and uh, now wow. we just sing the part in the center. Yeah. But um, it's a cool cool little thing that it was like she's proving like i know all this stuff there's three strikes you're out take me out of the game come on i'm I'm a good person to bring and it also says that she knows all the players names and like follows it very closely why has nobody recorded a modern cover of this i don't know jenny lewis go yeah. record uh, yeah um so i decided to make a cracker jack inspired drink um and i've been seeing this um, peanut butter whiskey that's on the market right now i think screwball puts it out um Okay. And I was like, it, I tried it and it's really overly sweet. And I thought you could just do it at home, which you can. I just took a can of um, natural peanut butter, unsalted, and um, spread it in a casserole dish and then poured whiskey on top of it and then um, strained that whole thing through a coffee filter. And so I have I, peanut butter washed whiskey. I just, I still am stuck on. It feels like magic, which I guess a lot of like cooking and that's it, but part of why I love cocktails in general is it it is a little like alchemy, yeah, an alchemical thing, and so that plus salted caramel syrup um, and three three or four dashes of black walnut bitters um, stirred and served into a glass with I have some spherical ice cubes, and we also I also um, rimmed it with salted caramel syrup and. Um, actual cracker jacks <laughs> which is are really hard to find these days you can find crunch and munch pretty easily in brooklyn bodegas but you cannot find cracker jacks so where did most, you find the cracker jacks i just kept every i walk over here from my apartment to drew's and i just stopped in every single place and there was eventually <laughs> one on fifth a key food on fifth had 
Oh, and you had really... to buy them in three boxes. Yeah. A ha- three box kind of Well, we'll collection. have a lot of these then. Yeah. I, I got to <laughs> say, like, the, the right under the nose, it's all peanut butter. It just smells mm-hmm. like a peanut butter cup. And then it tastes like everything else. So, well done. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I, I, as soon as I came up with this idea, I was like, I, I was smiling to myself. I, f- I feel like I'm very um, clever right now. Which is a feeling that doesn't last very long. So sorry, I just got a piece of Cracker Jack stuck to my <laughs> lip as I was trying to drink. Uh, so that's that's the drink. Thank you for inspiring such a fun drink. Oh, my with pleasure. your awesome novel. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, um, before we dive into the Cactus League, should we talk about some things that we've all just picked up recently? Oh, I'd love to do that. Would you like to start? I've just been talking. You All right, it. fair enough. Um, <laughs> I have two sets of things. For whatever reason, 2020 seems like a big year for publishers in terms of trying to bring stuff back into print or put uh, their own stamp on what books they think need to be canonical. And so uh, Tor is starting a Tor Essentials line, and they are bringing classic sci-fi novels back into print or more widely into print. The first two, Kim Stanley Robinson's California trilogy and a book by Maureen McHugh called China Mountain Zhang um, that like won a bunch of awards in the 90s and has been out of print. And it's it seems very timely in terms of China uh, being surging as the economic power in the world. Um, and then on the flip side... Penguin has started a Penguin Vitae collection where it's all um, writers of color and or women. Mm. And the beautiful editions, the first five just came out. Uh, one of them in particular is Nella Larson's Passing, which we talked about on the show with uh, Lauren Wilkinson mm-hmm. like a year ago. And at that point, it was like a book that was still kind of hard to find. And now I feel like there have been three or four recent reissues of it well as yeah, we were talking about too. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so it is one of these things where you read it and it does feel like it could have been written now yeah um but i just i love these beautiful editions and the publicist for penguin in her note about the vitae editions was sort of saying these are books that that as we all went around the office and we're like these are the books that meant a lot to me that we don't feel like are getting pushed out there and they were like we wanted to put an edition on the shelf that even if you already had a copy you would want to get another one because mm-hmm. you know that happens for Charles Dickens all the time. It should also happen for Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Is mm-hmm. is the um, passing? Is that the one that friend of the show Caitlin Greenidge writes the um, I forward? Think, I think it might be because that was another one that came out recently. I think that might be the one. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's what I've picked up. Cool. Emily, how about you? Um. I think the word is out that Gabriel Bump's book is amazing. Um, Everywhere You Don't Belong came out this last week. And it's this coming-of-age story set on the south side of Chicago. And I just absolutely loved it. He's, you know, he's the hero, but he's just like a doofy uh, teenager screwing things up (laughs) and, like, trying to get through high school and being a bad basketball player and living with his grandma and trying to figure out what he wants to do for college. And it's just such a wonderful social commentary and feel good um but not too good um, <laughs> well, story we about too good. well i mean it's just very honest and candid and mm. and funny and true and i just really loved reading it um mm. 
So, and I also just bought, I haven't cracked it yet, but um, Molly Knight's uh, The Best Team uh, Money Can Buy about the Dodgers. Oh, yeah. And I want to read it now even more because um, <laughs> Mookie. Yeah. yeah. Baseball news. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're going to come back to baseball things in a minute. But Christopher, first, what, uh, do you, what have you bought? I bought a couple of things. I bought, uh, well, this was, these are two things that were sent to us. I didn't buy them, but I'm still very excited about it. Magical Language of Others by E.J. Coe. Mm. This is a Tin House book. Um, it's it's a memoir of letters uh, between a mother and daughter, and the mother is in South Korea, and the daughter has been left behind um, with her brother in California. And she's translating her mother's letters for the book. And the original Korean is included in it, which is cool. I think that it just seems like a really um, thoughtful and interesting package for this story. Um, and then the other one, I'm really excited about that. And the other one is um, Elizabeth Thomas, uh, Catherine House, which I want to make sure I don't get those wrong. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, Elizabeth Thomas wrote that it's, um, it's coming out in May. Um, so this is one that you know, pre-order because it seems like, I don't know, it, it feels sort of like secret history uh, bingo in that it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's an elite society at a school and I love a, I love campus novels. Um, it's gothic and there's a shocking secret. Mm-hmm. So it's, Sounds fun. yeah. And I, lo- <laughs> I feel like it's going to be really fun. Um, so those are, those are the two things I've picked up and moved to the front of the list recently. Nice. Yeah. Let's uh, take us our, ourselves out to the ball game. <laughs> yes. Um, and talk about the Cactus League, your new novel in stories. Um, do you want to talk about what the novel is to the to the uninitiated? Sure. Um, it's a baseball novel, yes, but it's also uh, a book about a community. Um, every spring, about a million people show up in the Phoenix area to watch spring training baseball. Um, about half the major league goes down to Arizona, half go to Florida. The Florida folks are the Grapefruit League. The the Arizona folks are the Cactus League. So I was really interested in thinking about that community, the the temporary ness of it the carnival aspect of it and also the stakes of it you know this is a baseball book that doesn't really have a ninth inning bottom of the ninth there is a certain imperative that at the end of spring training they're going to have a 25-man roster and everyone will disperse but it's it, they're practice baseball games mm-hmm. and and so where could the drama and the tension and the narrative be if not on the field mm-hmm. um so that was the starting point i built this sort of incrementally for a long time it was nine stories well it was like i don't know 12 14 18 however many there were lots of starts and stops and and attempts at different characters in this community um and i settled on nine um and they were sort of in a pile not really talking to one another Uh or at least not being a particularly compelling conversation and then i realized let's make this a novel and stories rather than a story collection. Okay. Cool. And so was that when you started to use your, cause there's a sports writer that's sort of in between um, that. Yeah. That is a little bit of the frame story. Although 
not quite not quite yeah Yeah. so for a long time it wasn't a sports writer it was just an anonymous voice i was trying perhaps pretentiously um to model it like a greek course thinking about Mm. a sort of a community voice that is nameless um that it sort of enters at the end of the scene summarizes and and has a little bit of Uh, foreboding and then exits again and so I had that for a long time didn't know who the narrator was but kept thinking of the voice and how it was evolving and thinking about what a course might be in the 21st century Um, someone who speaks for the whole community who has a sort of elevated point of view but also is trying to um, connect with people and it's felt a lot like a journalist Mm. um, and, and what a newspaper or another kind of writer might do and so then I was like all right well I know now who this person is exactly and was able to adjust the language for that nice yeah I'm I would love to know sort of who arrived first on the scene for you was it this sort of titanic figure of Jason Goodyear the Mm. the hotshot baseball player that the novel sort of orbits around right or was it one of these other characters that sort of that was the moment where you're like, oh, now you I can branch off in these different directions? Well, Jason was always there, probably, um, because I'm really interested in the idea of the superstar and celebrity and just the, the ideal and idealized athlete. Um, I grew up in Seattle around Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez. And so seeing, you know, sort of two... Uh, manifestations of this supreme um, athlete and performer and and how they play out um, one of them you know sort of keeping his reputation up his entire career one having some rough patches Um, (laughs) so I was thinking about them so Jason was always there but I started writing about Tammy first Mm -hmm. cool who is uh, in the second chapter and elsewhere in the book, but she was sort of in the fore in the second chapter. She's uh, a woman who had lived with and been married to a minor league baseball player when that divorce comes through. She wants to start again the mm-hmm. same way a lot of athletes want to start again and a lot of people in general want to start again. They, um, you know, flee to Arizona and uh, Phoenix is a helpful metaphor for, for folks like Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's a funny, you know, I, I'd never really thought of this scene before, but of, of the people, um, all of these women and, and people who are hanging out after practice to like get a glimpse of these in the cactus leagues, like hanging out in that parking lot. Um, I've, I'd never read anything about that before. What um, you said you were just interested in the cactus league, but what brought it to your mind or? Um, well, growing up in Seattle in right. March of any given year in Seattle, it's 40 degrees and rainy and dark. <laughs> and so, and even when it's not raining, um, or sorry, even when it's not March, um, Seattle didn't have outdoor baseball. We'd go to the kingdom. And so the, my dad felt very strongly, he grew up walking distance from Yankee stadium and he felt very strongly that I had to experience baseball outdoors. So if there was a sunny day in the summer in Seattle, we would either drive down to Tacoma for the Rainiers, the AAA team, or we would go up and watch the Everett Aqua Sox mm. just so we could like <laughs> be outdoors watching baseball. But that's a long way of saying that in March, it's miserable in Seattle. And my dad and I got into this tradition of going down to Phoenix for just a few days and watching baseball there. And I was definitely 
you know, one of those 12 year olds trying to get signatures after the game, like hanging out by the players. Cool. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, you just, you can feel the love of baseball through all of these characters love baseball, even if it's, they're like cursed by their love of baseball. I mean, I kind of feel like the batting coach, um, I kind of wish he could get away from it in some ways. Like, I feel like some, some of these people should probably let it go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the other thing about this novel is there's a lot of, um, like literally destroyed homes or like broken home. Like there's, there's, it seems like there's, you know, uh, oh, your home is in danger. So there's something about baseball and, and home that you're exploring. And I wanted to know what you think about. Yeah. Well, when I realized that sort of the inciting incident of the book would be this new stadium and this new home base for the team, I wanted to think about other manifestations of home. I think, you know, particularly for, Uh, transient workers, whether they're athletes or concession workers, these people who are moving around all year um, have a fraught and complicated relationship to what home might be. Um, And, and, and to set it in 2011, when um, that recession had sort of guttered the housing market in Phoenix and a lot of other places complicated home one more time. And so, I don't know that I had a big thesis on it, but I wanted to sort of bring up all of those elements of uh, domestic architecture, um, both residences, but then the the idea of the home field and and see how they'd play together. Nice, yeah, and uh, there's of course the the very idealized home too of the Frank Gary Lloyd Wright, Le- Frank Lloyd, yeah, not. The Frank one, of those, Gary. one of those Franks. One of those Franks. Um, Frank Gary's in there too. He makes a cameo. Um, yeah, and Frank Lloyd Wright. You know, he he's sort of an um, he's maybe the bridge between that conversation about domestic architecture and stadiums because mm-hmm. he showed up. Um, you know, I think it was in the 30s and built a winter home for himself uh, in the mountains outside of Scottsdale. And and for me, I love. Taliesin West, his compound up there, but it was also just this real taste statement about what architecture can be and what it can do, and seeing the way that Phoenix has grown and Scottsdale, um, with these mega mansions and this casino stadium complex and these sort of gross, in my opinion, um, manifestations of architecture that that came about, you know, not that many years later. Um, the stadium itself is beautiful, which I shouldn't call it gross, but it's just you know architecture on steroids in a way that an urban development on steroids um i i think that frank lloyd wright was sort of this like moralizing ghost up in the hills on (laughs) on a certain level right it's i'm curious to know sort of as you were putting this collection together were you thinking about the ways in which you were able to look at a bunch of different issues or was it really this character is the most compelling and so they're the one their story is going to make the eighth inning or whatever. Right. Well, I was interested in having a real ensemble and everyone serving a different purpose, but I wasn't writing to um, moralizing or, or writing to um, to the issue necessarily. I think, you know, sort of sometimes two different characters were going neck and neck and trying to beat the same drum. Mm-hmm. And other than maybe those resonances around architecture, um, everyone's trying to do something else. Like where, you know, one is talking about end of life, one's talking about 
Well, several of them are actually talking about aging as well. I think mm-hmm. that's a theme, mm-hmm. you know, for for as much as the athletes are about youth and and potential, like the the downside of that or the downhill after you've peaked is that you still have strength and power and ambition, but you you have diminishing returns. So that that's a recurring thing as well. But yeah, I just I wanted to sort of take a kaleidoscopic view of of the sport in the Americana sense that you're mentioning, Drew, but also about, um, you know, sort of the sports industrial complex and more of a commentary Mm. on, and and a bit of a cynical one about uh, professional sports now. So, you know, it's very much not about the draft, but there are two athletes who have had very different experiences Um, in the draft. One was drafted in the DR at 16, which is very kind of bad and complicated system Mm -hmm. um and one got picked up right out of high school and he just can't cut it right (laughs) right um you know similarly i just um yeah you know thinking about um tommy john surgery it's got an 85 percent success rate yeah oh that's the surgery for your for their arm yeah when you blow out your elbow there was a pitcher named Tommy John who who got it, and when it worked for him, they called it Tommy John surgery. But they take a ligament from like around your wrist and transpose it onto your elbow, and it Jeez. takes over a year to heal. So wild, and it works most of the time. But you know, eighty five is not one hundred, and yeah, I fifteen percent is a lot. <laughs> I wanted to think about one of those fifteen percenters and and what that might feel like. So, you know, and, and he actually. There's also opioids in that chapter. Mm. And I was writing him from 2012, like, so way before our sort of contemporary crisis. And I think it is about 2011, but I think, you know, in terms of economic um, vulnerability and opioids and a lot of the themes were necessary for the book and sort of the constellation of things happening then, but I hope feel contemporary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's wild. Like, I was thinking about Richard Greenberg's Take Me Out. Yeah. It was one of my favorite plays about to be revived uh, here in New York. And the idea that it's still across all sports in America, it's still like kind of a big deal yeah. if somebody comes out. Yeah. And the idea that there's still like a lot of inherent homophobia in professional sports. Right. And to think about like that play, I want to say is 20 years old. It's like late nineties, early two thousands. And so this book taking place in 2011, jumping forward to now, there are maybe a half dozen out professional sports players. Mm. Maybe, but I don't think any of them are starters. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And so there, there's a, a closeted athlete in, in the book as well. And so, you know, this isn't, a, I don't think I can, you know, write the, the book about homophobia in sports, but right. I wanted to acknowledge that it was part of the equation of contemporary sports. Mm. Are there any characters who um, you want to spin off in like a, you know, like in a cheers to Fraser way? <laughs> like what, what, who do you think, is there anyone you would want to see in, in their own novel? Oh, oh, I don't know. All of them. <laughs> I mean, you know, like the Tammy chapter um, originally was like the version in the Iowa review is 15,000 words. Like wow. I could keep going and going with these guys. I think for me, a big part of, finishing the book and the final product was understanding that they have these everyone has a whole life story but being really mean and rigorous about how much I'm actually sharing here um the last edit after FSG bought the book 
I cut out 25,000 words. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, line by line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my poor boyfriend. <laughs> um, did, so there, you could keep doing more of a baseball novels. Is that, yeah, is, do, do you, probably won't, though. Yeah. Maybe, I, I, mm. Is there... Never say never. Never say never. Were there any sort of... And if, if this is the sort of thing that somebody can see long after you've passed away in your letters or something, that's also fine. We can keep it a secret. But is was there a story that you wanted to get into the book and just weren't able to find a way to do it? Um, I had a chapter about a, um, a strip club mm. called the Desert Oasis. And, and Jason shows up and... And, uh, at that point, and it was, you know, I really liked the characters. I really liked all the women who work there and they were, they were smart and actualized and empowered with caveats. Um, (laughs) but, um, at that point, Jason had just sort of a general and undefined character flaw. And once I figured out what his Mm. real bag was, which is not, not ladies, um, but another advice, I I realized it wasn't it wasn't wasn't working in the set. Mm. Wow, there's very little like actual baseball played. No, there's like five innings <laughs> um, <laughs> total. <laughs> um, was that on purpose? Was that something you you wanted to step away from, or? Yeah, I mean, I love good baseball writing, but again, thinking about sort of what exists in baseball literature so much of it is hooked onto the world series or the ninth inning innings that really count and it just didn't feel necessary to write that much baseball into spring training because these are meaningless innings um, <laughs> on a certain level so um yeah I, I sort of i didn't try to write too much and then when i was done and realized there wasn't that much i didn't feel really compelled to add more in well i gotta say like that's I love um, how many angles on the game that you just never would get the batting coach's perspective or the the fan who's or the former uh, wife of a player. You know, like the, mm-hmm. these um, perspectives were completely fresh on the game and it just also grounded it in a way that I love. In the same way, I, I, I've never enjoyed watching baseball. I love watching baseball highlights, like baseball highlight reels. And so some of the best... Um, baseball writing some can sometimes feel like watching a highlight reel um what what do you think is the best thing about writing about baseball oh that's a great question um i mean i think you know watching baseball and being in a stadium it's this wonderful mix of of the audience and you know you're in a community you're in a crowd um but there's also these amazing athletes performing and and there's uncertainty because of course you know every pitch is a new play um there's just all these really exciting elements um coming together with every pitch i mean there's a lot of pitches to your both of you guys seem to not really like watching the sport (laughs) but that's cool that's cool um i i just i think it's like you know it's just very full of possibility Hmm. but also unfolding at a pace where you can narrate that yeah oh Oh. that that makes a lot of sense um i'm a soccer guy which is why basically any sport that stops and starts you can't even talk 
I mean, oh yeah, you can't announcers no... for soccer. I, my eye my hat, but it's crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. You yeah, like have a lot of coffee or, <laughs> or something a little stronger to to keep track of. You know what? Twenty two guys mm-hmm. running. Or, well, twenty guys running around and yeah. two guys standing very still. Yeah, but to know who's who and where, like, but I think it comes from also like that's what I grew up playing, mm-hmm. and I said uh, I was telling my wife about this book and she was like we've never been to a baseball game we should do and i was like i don't really and she was like oh we should have talked about that sort of before <laughs> the marriage part um i like going to the the coney island i was gonna say you should go to coney island although <laughs> i mean i think one of my favorite things about it is just like you're sitting next to someone you like for three to four hours and you get to talk to them and something exciting happens and you get to exclaim together. And if it's not interesting, you get to talk to your friend or your father, whoever it is, your wife. Um, Although I say that I went to the longest game in the history of the Coney Island Cyclones. No way. 22 innings. And, And it was my friend's birthday and he had like, I don't know, 15 or 20 people there. And, and we were all like playing round robin, like catching up and moving seats and talking to one another. And at a certain point in the 15th inning, we were all like, <laughs> all right, um, this is minor league baseball. <laughs> it's like one in the morning. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. They're the, um, I do love the games that go on really long. They're the Coney Island Frankfurters now, although... When did what? that happen? A couple years ago. Oh, they don't, shoot. They, they rarely say it, though. So, you know, I left New York and yeah. moved to Louisiana for seven years, and I'm back now, but it's been like a year and a half, and certain things happen that I totally missed. <laughs> no one no one refers to even... So, I, uh, Nathan's Hot Dogs bought... The Frankfurters? Yeah. Oh. That's a, I need more of this drink. <laughs> no. Yeah, Cyclones is better. You brought a really cool book for us to read that is also related to sports. Um, So Many Olympic Exertions by Annalise Chen. I did, yes. Um, And it, it talks about sports. It feels so connected, partially because, of course, you recommended it. But um, it feels so connected to your book in that, like, there is that whole idea of quitting or, like, leaving the sport and how, like, that's not something that anybody can do in the Cactus League, even though they probably should. And she's, like, trying to figure out, well, the whole book gets kicked off with um, an ex-boyfriend of hers committing suicide. Right. And, um, And then it kicks off her own while she's in her dissertation, the final year of her dissertation, trying to decide whether or not she should quit right right what um what put this book onto your radar and Mm -hmm. and threw it our way um well annalise had been a mollusk correspondent for the daily so she'd just been writing this kind of fun um column for the parish review several years ago so i knew her work then i didn't work directly with her but i was aware of it um she when this book came out she got a five under 35 nod and so i'd read excerpts of it but i didn't know it exactly um but last month in early january the key west literary seminar was themed around sports writing Mm. and so that was my very first event with the cactus league um they actually flew um, or expedited finished copies down there. And so my oh, wow. first view of the book was at the festival. And it was a great event. And it was a really sort of ambitious and interesting group of writers 
approaching sports writing. You know, it was me and Gish Jen, who both have baseball books coming out this mm-hmm. month. But then also Annalise was there. Rowan Ricardo Phillips, who writes about tennis. Joyce Carol Oates. Um, they got her to talk more about boxing. <laughs> and um, so I, I, the book was sort of put back onto my radar then. And I picked it up. And when you guys asked me to, to come on, it was sort of on the top of my TBR at list. Cool. Wow. Um, her novel is um, is like little paragraphs or sentences or like little stories that are are like adding to a whole. It's a it definitely feels more of the auto fiction in the Maggie Nelson Jenny mm-hmm. awful um, space. But instead of writing about like bluettes being about blue and her relationship, instead it's about sports and her relationships. Yeah, um, I was really interested um, to to see the structure. I mean, I think that it opens with the ultimate quit, right? Someone mm-hmm. who chooses to end their life. And then it's um, all manner of quitting, talking about athletes who leave performance or leave the game entirely and her, um, the the narrator trying to figure out if she should leave the academic track, which is its own kind of competition. Uh, yes. It was... Um, yeah, it was really interesting. And, and the short paragraphs, the, the tiny scenes, um, the tempo was really pretty intoxicating. I, yeah. I whipped through it. Yeah. Me too. It, it, it's some, sometimes it felt like Twitter or something. Like there was just like some like little thoughts that was just, and then like some were like really long threads that she was threading up together a bunch of things. Um, one of my favorite ones, and she really uses the internet, um, well mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. got it's a very internet novel there's even like screenshots of her desktop sometimes um there's this one little section that i love uh where she's googling oh the oh, googling <laughs> it's such like a great thought process explanation of like how you use the internet and how like mm-hmm. you fall down a rabbit hole and that's just how you're gonna spend your day and also the idea that the internet allows you to see things that previously uh, things that were kept private or that you wouldn't want to see, like somebody's shin bones sticking out of their leg after their leg has been broken on the field. Like some of those stories where she was, and some of it is cool. And there are occasionally screenshots, nothing terribly graphic for anybody who's got a queasy stomach, who's potentially going to read this book. But these, you're able to find videos of runners who are they can see the finish line all of a sudden they start running backwards or doing yeah and the, the idea that she has access to all of this content that we have access to all of this content both in the way that this book in particular is structured and sort of it gives that sense of like how am i ever going to finish this thing that i'm working on when there's just so much mm. she keeps talking about like her advisors like where are you going with this? It just keeps sprawling. And in a way I could see a world where this book could have done the same thing. And then she narrows it down really dramatically at the end in a way that at first I was frustrated by. And then I was like, there was no other way. There's no other way for this book to end. And I grew to really appreciate that. Mm. Mm. I was nervous for most of this book because like, her friend killed himself mm-hmm. and now she's like looking at things where like people are finishing mar- or not quite finishing marathons or like they're 
then it's all about quitting. And I don't know, did you, were you guys worried that she herself was suicidal or do you think that she was just thinking, trying to figure out his thinking? I don't know. I didn't think suicide, but I was, she was on, the narrator was on the verge to be sure, um, to have to go back home and mm-hmm. just to not find, asking for help and asking for solace with her advisor, with her friends and these, you know, beautifully rendered but really gut-wrenching scenes where people turn her away um, Mm -hmm. or give her an answer that's really not the self she's looking for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I guess, I don't know if I would call it nervous, but I didn't feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean... But then she goes back in the pool. Yeah, yeah. You know, when she starts swimming again, um, I was so relieved. Yeah, me too. And that she liked it and that it wasn't torturous to be back in the pool in any way that she just returned to it and loved it yeah yeah it, i was thinking a lot of i felt reading this book the same way that i felt reading gay Pabash's Stephen florida mm. just something sort of the visceral thing about sports and phys- like bodies falling apart made me feel stressed mm-hmm. and the 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 tempo of it there's no i didn't want to put it down not necessarily because I was like so riveted, but because I just, it has a quality. It's like, I'm just going to keep going. I, I was thinking of a friend of the show, Will Chancellor's novel, A Brave Man, Seven Stories Tall, which starts with a polo player getting his, um, a water polo player oh, getting yeah. his eye ripped. Oh, gone. Uh, and oh, he like yeah. can't play Ooh, anymore. Oh, read that. <laughs> <laughs> but it follows, and then Maybe like, he loses his identity and doesn't know what to do with himself. And he's like, I'm going to, go become an artist i guess because i don't know what else to do Mm. um and it's the only other thing he has in his mind yeah i mean there's something about so many stories and i it's it's an interesting connection between emily your book and annalise's book what what happens when you are confronted with that decision point do you push on and keep trying to do more or do you say okay i'm gonna stop i'm gonna i'm gonna quit i'm gonna give up um I love that pamphlet that she downloads, uh, the, oh, yeah. the pit. Oh, the pit. That she downloads. Oh, I'm like, when it's is the time? Is that a real thing? Do we know? I didn't look it up. I didn't look because, it up. But I it was too devastated. Well, but when I read it, I mean, I I left my job uh, at the public theater last summer after having been there for about eight years. And there it was a lot of soul searching about why I was leaving and I was really I was super stressed and there was a lot of bad stuff happening to me and I read the pamphlet and I was like oh cool I made the right choice yeah that's <laughs> oh that so it is real but I'm I, no I read it in this book and I was like oh that this makes sense to me like I made the right choice mm-hmm. it's even now five six months later I'm like man did I do the right thing I think I think I did but like, yeah. uh, I don't know could I have pushed on further and tried to do more and that idea of no when all of a sudden your your returns diminish so dramatically sometimes like, oh, it feels yeah. good to quit yeah and that's fine I remember it was like one one of the final seasons of girls Andrew Rannell's character is used to be a dancer mm-hmm. and he start, says like uh, quitting was like the best quitting dancing was like the best decision that he ever made because like you had all this crazy pressure that you were just putting on yourself. And when you like, just take this out of your life, it suddenly opens up all of this. It does give you freedom. Yeah. And I think with swimmers and she's talking about tennis players too, like Mm -hmm. 
you know, there's great the rankings and and yeah. I mean it's not dissimilar from the competition with academics, but you know the idea that you know being 29th in the world is kind of amazing, but you're not gonna place, you know, like that, mm, yeah. like, or you're not gonna medal, and uh, you know at least with major league baseball, you know there's a few hundred <laughs> what no, 25 times. Uh, oh yeah i can't do math but you guys yeah. know like yeah. like There's there some... there are many opportunities to to make it quote unquote but with some of these like the tennis circuit oh. well i mean team sports versus like individual sports i feel like that is a yeah. really crazy difference and i think with olympic exertions it's so you know as an academic, as someone writing, she's feeling so isolated and really leans into and with the marathon runners as well. I was really thinking about the loneliness mm-hmm. of these particular sports. Mm. I, you know, it, I can, I understand. I felt, it felt good to quit baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I played two, two years of baseball as a kid and uh, I was terrible. I was terrible at it. And I was already playing soccer and like doing other things. So I, I can I can understand like and it just feels freeing like oh all that time I can do whatever same with quitting soccer really mm-hmm. just was like this has run its course yeah I really because feel- I was watching um, we're watching The Sopranos right now uh-huh. like from the beginning which is a goofy and delightful thing to do <laughs> and I'm in the we just watched the episode where uh, Meadow plays soccer and <laughs> and the coach is a creep surprise surprise but um. I was watching those seventeen-year-old girls play soccer, and I was like, "Man, I miss on being on the field." So. Yeah, no, I feel like that's a different thing, though. I I I would like to play some sports, right. but I don't want to be in any league or like. You want the endorphins. Yeah. you don't want the victory. I, I, yeah, no, that's not why I would be playing. I mean, have you ever quit something, um, Emily? And it felt really good, <laughs> like the the actual good side of quitting. The good side of quitting, um, well, I got cut from the softball team, which was like <laughs> devastating until I was like, no, I just really like watching. Like, I don't mm-hmm. need to be on the field. Um, what did you play? Jokes on me that now I have a softball team in the Paris Review and I, <laughs> I have to bat every time I get it. I think they let like, I mean, it's they're all softballs, you know, but I think I get particularly softballs and we'll hit singles and the thrill the thrill guys um <laughs> um something i quit uh, that felt good oh good question <laughs> um it is i mean it's weird how we are taught to think that quitting is bad well yeah i didn't know what to root for in in this it's there's no like team to root for in annalise's novel there's no you're not reading this and thinking like i want her to not write her thesis that's not quite you want her to do something you just want her to find an answer yeah and, and to feel better about what she's doing and if it, that's quitting and then she does something else i wasn't sure the whole time i was like, just like what do i how do i want this novel to resolve like what would be the point where it makes sense for her to stop writing Uh, well, you seem to have read a lot of sports novels. Uh, there are some really good ones that you read while you were working on this. Or? Yeah. Um, the Brothers K by David James Duncan has been largely forgotten by everyone, uh, but it's great. It's really good. Um, 
thought the art of fielding was really good. I definitely wanted to sort of write in response to that. Mm. Um, well, I mean, talk that more came about that. What do you mean, write in well, response to that? I mean, it came out what in 2011, which or yeah, 2012, 2012, which is when I started writing this book. I wasn't like I was like. I'm getting you, Chad. Um, <laughs> but I, I was like, oh yeah, this is this can galvanize readers. Baseball novel is limping along, but isn't entirely dead. There's a way to make it contemporary and relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that sort of putting it in a university and and you know the ivory tower of that made a con- particularly contemporary or relevant. <laughs> but I, I wanted to think about that. Um, I've, I've... I recently saw a live reading of Pafco at the Wall. The 92Y is mm. doing these live performances of pieces of literature. And, I mean, it's a great thing on its own, but to see it performed um, by voice actors was just delightful. Um, I read a lot of nonfiction. Um, mm. I was really interested in thinking about realism and storytelling and narrative long form where it felt like real life and Mm. and wasn't too reliant on character um you know i think so much of debut fiction is sort of hooked into autobiography and i and or at least recently and i wanted to really push against that and think about research and and storytelling and observational storytelling and a lot of john mcphee in my life for the last forever but um a lot of john mcphee and roger angel and um you know, that Glenn Stout anthology of best American sports writing of the century mm. was oh, great yeah. and very helpful. Yeah. Huh, maybe we should st- actually just switch over into recommendations. Uh, sure. And talk about something we, we, we also, other things we recommend. Let's do that. could start it yes go for it um I, it's a baseball novel it's one of my favorites um i guess if you're writing something related to baseball you have to a lot of people decide that they have to relate it to the take me out song <laughs> like you have to do that take me out to the ball game because mm. this is if i never get back by daryl oh, yeah. brock which is a time travel novel um where a guy gets off he's a sports writer san francisco sports writer gets off the train and he's in the 1869 or something <laughs> and he just joins the Cincinnati Red Stockings. Yeah, he does. Wow. And um, very early on in the um, in playing with these guys, he's, he kind of just plays like a pickup game of baseball with the team. And uh, he's, he asks for a glove, and they all make fun of him. Uh, because <laughs> like, they just played it barehanded, which is oh, insane. That's wild. My hand's stinging right now. Yeah, just thinking about it. Um, yeah, but it's... Uh, uh, he he also like meets Mark Twain mm. through the sure the I mean he, of it. yeah if you go back you have to I also love a time travel novel that um there's no like machine or he wasn't trying to time travel he just randomly ended up time traveling mm-hmm. I think those are fun and then the other thing that I'm gonna recommend is um there's this sports writer guy um who makes incredible YouTube videos uh this guy John Boyce I've talked about his weird uh web novel before but he made this youtube video called rat poison and brandy the 1904 st louis louis olympic marathon 
Um, All right. And it's this really good, like, 20-minute YouTube, like, documentary about this crazy marathon where, you know, she talks about it in um, so many Olympic exertions that people were, like, you know, drinking strychnine. <laughs> yeah so many bad ideas back then Um, and so yeah that that's sort of what he's talking about like that's what they were doping with was strychnine for this marathon and everybody's drinking brandy so everyone's really drunk and like people got lost makes your shins feel better right (laughs) (laughs) nothing like brandy to get the pistons pumping uh yeah so We'll link it on our website, so many damn books.com on the episode. Um, if you want to spend 21 minutes watching and actually his entire YouTube channel is awesome. Like really yeah. weird sports stories. Cool. Um, uh, so I highly recommend those. Nice. Emily, do you want to go next or should Drew go next? Okay, Drew. Uh, okay. I have to, one is I, and I'm pulling it out purely because it's got a very long title. Uh, I think it's the best fantasy sports novel ever written. Not, <laughs> Fantasy sports, but fantasy sports. Oh, that one, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Universal Baseball Association Incorporated, J. Henry Waugh, proprietor. Uh, a friend of the show and excellent podcaster himself, one of the co-hosts of No Holds Barred, the Shakespeare podcast Shakespeare would have listened to, Kevin Condardo, it was like, I have, it's my favorite book, and uh, you just you just need to read it. Didn't tell me anything about it. I love Robert Coover. This book is so crazy. When I finished it the first time, I was infuriated by it. And ever since then, I just keep thinking about how marvelous it is. It's this guy who basically runs his own dice-based fantasy baseball league. Fantasy before there was fantasy. Before there was fantasy. And he, (laughs) he builds these stories and he does it all himself and... It's about myth making, but there's just this turn in the last section where suddenly it's basically from the players' point of view. Mm. But decades later, and the ways in which the mythology that happens over the just builds and builds in on itself is really a mindfuck in the best way. Cool. Um, I think about this book all the time Hmm. the other book that i will say it's a new book it comes out i think at the end of march maybe the beginning of april uh we ride upon sticks by quan berry it is a field hockey novel but it's also a witch novel it's like the 1989 oh i heard about this yeah, yeah the 1989 danvers high school field hockey team they make a deal with the devil in a notebook with Emilio Estevez on the front cover. And they suddenly st- they go from being like the bottom of the league to just kicking ass. Love it. Uh, and it's, it's great. Mm. The, the way that Quan writes about two days at the end of the summer immediately put me back in a good headspace. I have not thought positively about doing two days <laughs> since probably before I did two days. And I, it was the first time that I felt positive nostalgia for that feeling of exhaustion that mm-hmm. comes from running from nine to twelve and two to five every day. Mm. Mm. It's like, man, that was pretty cool. <laughs> Emily, yeah. Um, so I think my my baseball related pick. Um, I had the good fortune of being a conversation partner with David Duchovny um, for my book launch. Uh, David also has written a baseball book that was published, sort of a baseball book that was published by FSG. And we didn't talk at all about that. Um, 
we talked about the Cactus League at our event and it was great and he was, you know, smart and charming and it was really fun, but he was, you know, he said, don't ask about the X-Files, but <laughs> if you really want to know about um, about my love of sports and my best sports writing, see this episode of X-Files called The Unnatural from season six. Cool. And it's uh, set in New Mexico, not Arizona, but there's cactuses. It's minor league baseball. It's sort of monster of the week. Um, it's it's a classic little... Classic X-Files. Classic <laughs> X-Files. I mean, it's a little bit popcorn, but it was delightful. I, Did I, he write it? or He write... He wrote it and he directed it. Oh, it's so, one of those. It's one of those. So he, it's really his heart on his sleeve and his heart looks like a baseball. Um, <laughs> so that so was cool. really fun. Um, yeah, you can find it streaming somewhere. And I'm going to when we yeah. finish this episode. The Unnatural. Yeah, it's, it's super cheesy and delightful. Um, and I just finished reading an arc of a book called True Facts by Kate Reed Petty that's coming out this summer. And I guess it's a little bit sports-oriented, too, in that it's this group of teenage boys who are on a lacrosse team. There is a, um allegation of a sexual assault and sort of the long trail and fallout of that, like following the characters for several decades. Um, yeah, it was just really ambitious formally. She She's using a lot of different formats of storytelling, everything from college admissions essays to screenwriting, oh, wow. um, scripts. Fun. Um, to narrative, to epistolary stuff. Um, I love it. Yeah, so I just I couldn't quite put it down. I definitely had other things to read, but I, I tore through that. Wow, going to have to get that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, those all sound good. Yeah. Other books that you should go get. The Cactus League. Yeah. It's it is my favorite book of the year so far. I I love this book. Oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah. It's <laughs> like it's just so good. Um we also recommend going um on our website, com. You can find the recipe for the drink. Um I really highly recommend um peanut butter washing your own whiskey. Um it's really Send easy. Us videos. <laughs> Not photos. Send us videos it's of really, doing this. It's really less peanut butter. It's like a peanut butter note. It definitely tastes of peanut butter, but it doesn't like overwhelm it. And I just, this is just the first cocktail I've made with it. And I feel like I'm going to be making other things with peanut butter. <laughs> it's delightful. <laughs> peanut butter whiskey. Um, so you can go on our website for that. And you can also, we really like it when you leave nice iTunes reviews. It really helps us with the algorithm. The algorithm. And... What That's a world. What a world we live in. It, I think. That is. Yeah. Um, I'll just add pitchers and catchers are showing up this week. Hey! hey. Yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. Friday's Valentine's Day. Wow. Comes back around. Baseball. This is the perfect time, actually, to read this book. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. Right cool. before. All right. All right. Thanks so much for coming yeah, on. Thank Thanks, you. guys. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks like we always are. See you later. Bye.